I would like to ask that you please uh, keep me in prayer this morning. Uh, I labored and labored and labored over the message I was going to speak this morning. And originally, it was going to be about the judgment seat of Christ and how we should be constantly preparing for that, in which you know we should be constantly preparing for that. At approximately 9 a.m. this morning, I had an urge that I could not ignore to change my message. Now, I have this happen sometimes. It's usually not that often. But this time, it was a complete change-up. My mind has scattered a million different directions. And so I prayed to God, God, if I walk up there on that stage right now, will you just please do the rest? Uh, I remembered when Moses was afraid to go before Pharaoh, uh, he said, God told him essentially, look, you show up and I'll be your mouth. So if everyone would, just please join me in a moment of prayer and just ask that God take over from here, that it not be my words, not anything necessarily going on in my particular world, but that his word comes forth and he stirs our hearts and changes us uh, according to his word. God, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come before you today. In many countries of the world, Lord, there are people, they just long for the idea that one day maybe they could gather in peace and not have to worry about getting drug out of the church and executed. God, we don't even know how blessed we are, but we thank you and we just want to have a spirit of thankfulness towards you of letting us gather here today. We ask that you please change our hearts according to what's written in your words so that we can leave this building bringing you more glory as we come to know you more and more. And it's through your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, so if everyone will grab your Bibles, our core text today is going to be coming out of Mark uh, chapter 13. We're going to start here and then we're going to be kind of navigating throughout the scriptures to talk about this. So now what I want to talk about today is a little bit of an altered version of what I originally had planned. And I want to talk about the hardest thing a Christian has to do throughout the, heart, uh, throughout the course of their life. Uh, and I'm not talking about the singular instances like the loss of a loved one or, you know, tragic events that happen. I'm talking about the most consistent, difficult thing a Christian has to do their entire life. So if you turn to uh, Mark chapter 13, we're going to be starting in verse 28. And by the way, that hardest thing that we're going to be discussing today, it's this right here. Simply obeying the will of the Father. And we're going to discuss how that is such a hard and difficult thing for us to do. So Mark chapter 13, I'm reading out of the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. This is Jesus speaking. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near right at the door. And this is, by the way, following where Jesus talks about the end times right before the second coming. That's kind of a little bit of a context. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. See to it, keep on alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who, leaving his house and giving authority to his slaves, each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. You know, we see uh, this actually repeated a few more times in the New Testament, this idea of staying awake, uh, this idea of staying sober-minded. Uh, we all know what it is to be sober, but we're commanded to stay sober-minded, meaning um, generally what we like to do after a hard day is we like to maybe turn on the television or do something where we can kind of just put our mind off. We can kind of escape our mind, the things that are on our mind, and just kind of coast. Uh, there's a group of people that make a lifestyle of doing this, and this especially is prevalent in an entertained-based society. But we're supposed to be constantly mindful of what we're left here to do. See, everyone in this room, we all have oxygen in our lungs. Meaning God has given purpose to you having oxygen in your lungs right here, right now. Um, in God's eyes, there's no such thing as an accident. You weren't accidentally born male or female. You weren't accidentally born with uh, a certain hair color into the family or even at this point in time in history. But we see all through the scriptures how God is very much active in our lives and steers us in the right directions. So nobody is here by accident this morning. If you will, kind of flip back to Mark chapter 3. And while you're flipping there, we want to examine the text in one uh, particular lens. And Mark chapter 3, we're going to read in uh, verse 22. That's where we're going to start. But I'm uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. See, I think this is a very sobering text, and I'm sure you've heard this all many, many times. Most of us have memorized this verse. But only those who do the will of the Father enter heaven. That's a very sobering thought. So Mark chapter 3, take a look at verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? There's Jesus speaking. And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house." Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Let's pause right there for a second. 
You know, that's a very incredible statement, isn't it? That Jesus saying uh, almost, and we're going to get to the unforgivable sin next, that all the blasphemies people utter, uh, take a look at Paul for the example, an actual murderer, not just of people in general, but exclusively of Christians, of those professing the name of Christ. Jesus said, all those things can be forgiven. Verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. I just got asked this past week by uh, some of the students at the school um, about, uh, I forget the exact question, but it had to do with, you know, is this sin forgivable or, you know, something along those lines. And uh, then the question kind of popped up, well, what about, you know, the unforgivable sin? You know, how do I know if I've committed the unforgivable sin? Well, most likely nobody in this room has committed this sin. This was exclusively Jesus saying they were calling the Holy Spirit of God the actual ruler of demons, that the ruler of demons is, who's the ruler of the demons? Satan, right? You know, he, he's their head honcho leader, Beelzebul as they call him, or Beelzebul. Um, so they actually called the Holy Spirit evil and wicked. That would be an example of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But notice Jesus, essentially, you know, even those who speak against Jesus, they can be forgiven. How do we know that? Well, look at Paul. Paul spoke very much against Jesus, but look at how God used that sinner for his glory. So much so that Paul said, look, I'm... It, I'm, I've got to be the chief of sinners. I'm such a bad sinner. Now, he's forgiven. He turned away from that sin, you know, by all means. But it just goes to show how forgiving our God is. Uh, verse 30, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent a word to him, calling to him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Now, this is an interesting response Jesus has in answering them. He said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting around them, he said, Behold, in other words, the, the people that are around him, look around you. Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we see this emphasis, especially that Jesus places on the will of the Father and how our lives should be consisted of keeping that narrow focus on the will of the Father. Uh, how many have ever heard uh, someone say, you know, you're just too narrow-minded? Have you ever been called that before? I've been called that I don't know how many times. And uh, usually my response is just, uh, yeah, I'm actually very, I'm more narrow-minded than you really think I am uh, because Jesus said only the narrow-minded go to heaven. Only those who follow the narrow way actually entered the gate to the kingdom of heaven. And see, we're to keep that narrow focus on the will of the Father. So we've talked a little bit about the scriptures, and we're going to be going up more and more you know, on about this, but this is what I personally like to do, and I found this to be a, an effective way. First, you read the Word. Then you talk about what does the Word mean, and then you can't forget step three, what does this mean to my life? 
Because remember, God starts a good thing in you the moment you're saved. And some people are under the impression, you know, I did that thing, I said that prayer, they dunked me in water, you know, this is the one that I actually can't stand. This one drives me a little crazy. Everyone bow your head and close your eyes, and if you accepted Jesus, please, you know, slip up your hand while no one else is looking. You know, like you're ashamed to announce that you're professing Jesus for the first time. Have you ever seen that before? That's one thing that I personally have one of those pet peeves over. When we accept Christ, we should be boldly speaking about Christ, telling everyone about the gospel. How can you tell anyone about the gospel that you're ashamed to even admit to a group of people that like God, much less a group of people that will kill you for naming the name of Christ? So now, let's talk a little bit more uh, about the application side. How can I live out the will of the Father? Well, one, we have no power to do it according to our own flesh. It's only by the Holy Spirit placed inside of us. Uh, If the Father has not set you free from your sin, then you're still a slave of sin and of the ways of the world and of your fleshly desires. But see, when Christ sets us free, we now have the option to submit to His Spirit, and He gives us the strength to do what He's called us to do. The more I focus on this, the more I realize how hard it really is, and the more I learn about it, the the more hard I see this is to perform. Jesus summed it up like this. Matthew chapter 9 verse 13, and many of you will have this verse memorized as well. If you want to know what the will of the Father is, we know the two greatest commandments. The first, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, with all your strength. The second, to love your neighbor like yourself, right? So we know that, you know, we can all repeat that, you know, just uh, in our sleep. But how can I actually apply that information to our lives? You know, because we all have this verse, those verses memorized. But what can I do today to be obedient and to actually live up to that? So I've studied and studied, you know, how can I just apply this? You know, because at one time I was almost caught in limbo, like, you know, I wanted to go, you know, full speed ahead to following God, but it's like, okay, well, what do I do in my normal everyday life? You know, like you go to church on Sundays, you know, maybe Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights, you know, whatever your schedule, you know, I know that I can do it then, you know, whenever there's a church event, um, whenever there's an event where I can go, you know, share the gospel. But what about my normal, everyday, common life? How can I do the will of the Father in those times? Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. And this is Jesus' advice to everyone who actually wants to live out and obey the will of the Father. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous or maybe those who think that they're righteous, maybe those who are kind of living up here, but sinners. So now, how can we actually apply living for the will of the Father? This is what I've noticed. I would go so far as to say about 90% 
or more of your Christian life, of your obedience to the Father is summed up in this right here. Your day-to-day behavior. Because we're supposed to go out and share with the lost, right? We're supposed to exercise our spiritual gifts of uh, teaching, of administration, of, uh, you know, serving. And so, you know, we're supposed to do that, but we're not always doing, you know, what about the workplace? Uh, We can't just not work. You know, we still have to have the everyday life. So how can I obey God in just my everyday life? We're going to talk about uh, our behavior, but it boils down to this. It's a heart felt compassion. A heartfelt compassion. <clears throat> and not sacrifice. John chapter 7, verse uh, 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What is that? Obviously, we're not talking about, you know, literal projectile vomit, you know, or something like that. That, that wouldn't be what the scriptures are talking about. Uh, what it's talking about here is this compassion that is so hot. Yeah, that's kind of disgusting. Yeah, that project, you know, sorry to put that uh, awful picture in your minds. Um, uh, this compassion is supposed to be flowing out of us because God treasures compassion. Now, how do we know that? Because we see this repeatedly in the scriptures. You want to know the most frequent emotion Jesus expressed throughout the entire all four Gospels. Do you know what it is? He felt compassion. Yet you want to, see, you want to know one of the most neglected attributes in churches everywhere today? A genuine, heartfelt compassion. Anyone can be compassionate, you know, just right on the surface level. But we're actually called to have that heartfelt compassion. So from our innermost being should be flowing rivers of this living water. 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, chapter 2 verse 5, And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. All right, so let's talk about this for a moment. And if you want to, while we're talking about this, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's going to be the next place that we're reading out of here. Because we're going to park on this, uh, this behavior thing because it's such a critical thing, but yet it's talked about so little. <clears throat> so Colossians chapter 3. And while, we're ta- uh, while you're turning there, we're going to talk about uh, competing in the Olympics, uh, especially in the ancient world. You know, we even have Olympic Games today. You know, you're running track and everything. Your goal when you run around that track is to stay within your lane, right? If anyone steps outside of the lane, what happens? Do they hit a brick wall? No. They, they step out of the lane, and then they usually just keep right on running. But then at the end of the race, even if they ran faster than anybody else in the entire competition by a landslide, what comes over the announcement? Such and such runner was disqualified because they stepped outside of the line. You know, that's got to be 
if you're the one who stepped out of the line, you ran as hard as you could. I mean, you put all the training that you put into this, all of the dieting of the nastiest food, yet the healthiest food out there, you know, eating just like suffering, you know, just for a meal. You know, you go through all this work, then you run your heart out just to hear this runner is disqualified. Who gets the crown? The one who ran according to the rules. So if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned. He doesn't get the crown unless he competes according to the rules. You know, as Christian, uh, God has given us, I guess it's probably safe to say, a set of rules, a set of boundaries that we're supposed to be running the race in. Uh, we're not allowed to just run anywhere on the track, step into any lane that we want to, but God has given us specific lanes that we're supposed to be running in. And you know, I, I've seen this plenty of times throughout the churches. You've got people, you know, they're at every single event, but yet they're the hardest person to get along with. And I've got a person of mine from, you know, a, a completely different church, but, you know, we all know people like that, people that are hard to get along with, right? You know, they can almost be like the rottenness in your bones sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Um, and see, they're running, they're running, they're running, but they're not obeying Christ. You know what I found myself doing before? I found myself running within the church with all of my might but I trampled over other people in the process. You know what God would say? What would happen if, again, you're on the track, you see the runners running, the runner's running beside someone, and he bumps into the next runner? Again, what would you hear over the PA system when the race is over? Stay, he did not stay in his lane. And see, part of this comes with compassion and actually living out that compassion there is no you walk your walk and I walk my walk or you do you that's a phrase I can't stand by the way you do you we're all walking the exact same walk simply with minor variations variations uh, being that not everyone in this room are teachers. Not everyone is good at administration. Not everyone excels in the same gifts. But we all have been called to behave the same. You know, that's one of the things I love about the gospel. It doesn't matter what time period in history you go to. It doesn't matter what culture you go to. Christians are always called to walk one walk. And that walk is conforming more and more to the image of Christ. Now Christ isn't one way and then, you know, five different ways. But there's only one Christ that we're all trying to become more like. And the Scriptures define exactly who He is. You all are familiar with this verse. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So what is sanctification for those who don't know? Uh, the way I like to explain sanctification is your usefulness to God. Your sanctification is your usefulness to God. If you live a sanctified life, 
you will be very useful to God. Whereas if you live a defiled life, you will live a life useless to God. I was going to use the example of uh, Samson, so maybe I'll just briefly mention it. Uh, I'm sure all of you are familiar with Samson. What is the one thing almost everyone remembers Samson for in all of the children's books and everything? His strength, how strong he was, right? You know, just the, you know, the super strong guy. He was able to do you know, a multitude of great things. Yet, if you watch the course of Samson's life, he had... What's the best way I can put this? He lived a life living for his own desires. Now, knowing how strong Samson was. By the way, Samson was only one of four people where their birth was ever announced in the Bible. Have you ever thought about that? Imagine God came to you and announced the child that you were going to have. Not only that, but you said, God, you know, how, how do you want me to raise the child? And he it gives you a, a, a description of how to raise the child. Boy, how many parents would like that with God himself telling you what to do for this child? That's what Samson had. Samson was called to be a set-apart one. Yet we see throughout the course of Samson's life that he lived his own selfish, self-indulged life that was in opposition for what God had for him. Can you imagine the great things that would have been done in the time of the judges? If Samson had followed the Lord with all his heart, mind, and soul. Yet, what ended up happening to Samson? Let's start with Delilah. What happened? What does sin always do to us? What does living a self-indulged, not worried exclusively about the will of the Father, but let me live for my will, how does it always end? In disaster. With tragedy. And how do I know that? Because I know that in my own life. The times that I have suffered the most are usually self-inflicted. You know, it's because of me living for my own self and me suffering the consequences for that. <clears throat> but this is what I will say, is God is very much engaged in our day-to-day -day life. Those whom He loves, He what? Disciplines. That's never a fun process, is it? Isn't that discipline always sometimes just, oh, uh, you know, it seems like it's going to be the end of you. But it says, don't despise when you're disciplined for the Lord. Because God disciplines those whom He loves. And if He doesn't discipline you, it tells us in Hebrews, you're an illegitimate child. Meaning you're not truly a child of God. See, we don't live in a world where everybody gets saved. How do we know that? Because the Bible specifically tells us that. Not everybody goes to heaven. But who goes to heaven, according to what we read? Those who do the will of the Father. Colossians chapter 3, take a look at verse 12. 12 through 14. 
So what are these behaviors that we can be exemplifying just on a day-to-day, normal basis, Monday through Sunday, throughout our work week? Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. You know, it's one, and we see kindness afterwards. You know, I can be kind to anybody. You know, and any of us, even if you don't like somebody, you can still be kind to them, can't you? But, you know, it, it's a completely different ball game to have a genuine, heartfelt compassion for others. And see, we all know the difference between these two. It's not just this hypocritical loving on the exterior that we're called to. Uh, I've heard this phrase before, and I cannot stand this phrase. Um, God says we have to love our enemies doesn't mean we have to like them. Let me just say, that is not what the Bible teaches in any way. Because that compassion isn't just something I do on the exterior for eye service. Compassion is something that comes from within. And how blessed are we? Now see, I don't know everybody's sin in this room. I know my sin, and I know it better than anybody in this room. I know all the things I've done wrong, or I I probably don't know all the things I've done wrong. I know most of the things I've done wrong. I know what was going through my head when I did all those things wrong. And I know how evil and wicked uh, just that was coming from my heart in those times I did those things. So I know my faults better than anybody in this whole room. Now, if someone as evil as me pouring out from my heart, if God can extend compassion to me of everybody in this room, He can extend it to you. Do we deserve it? No, absolutely not. I, I, know, I know good and well I don't deserve any of it. But God just doesn't love me on the outside, just sort of this, you know, exterior, you know, lip service, going through the motion type thing. But he has a heart, inward felt compassion for me and has called me to be one of his. Like he has hopefully everybody in this room. So, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, that's anti-pride, that's anti-my way. Uh, And this is a a major repeated one, this next one coming up, gentleness. You know, that's actually one of the most frequent commands in the entire New Testament for a believer, is to be a gentle person. Now, I'll say firsthand, it is not my nature to be a gentle person. Uh, Sometimes I can be a lot more direct and harsh than I really care to be. I'm much more of a, don't sugarcoat it, don't beat around the bush, don't waste your time, just spit it out. This is what it is. And uh, sometimes that can be a very hurtful thing, you know, can it? But I can honestly say by the grace of God, I can see God making me more and more and more gentle, and hopefully my wife can attest to that, but I'm sure she can attest I still need more work on it too. 
But you know, is your life marked by gentleness or we rash? And patience, that's another very difficult uh, one, bearing with one another, graciously forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord graciously forgave you, so also should you. It makes me think of all the awful things Jesus said he was willing to forgive except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Is there anything a human being can do that is unforgivable? Uh, Verse 14, so above all these things put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And for time's sake, I'm going to try to go ahead and uh, move through these. So I apologize if I start reading before you're able to get there. But know this, and so what are, we see some good will of the Father behaviors. What are some anti will of the Father behaviors. But know this, and then the last time, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self. What's that? That's me being self-centered. I'm just focused on me. Uh, the person in traffic who's riding in the left lane, you know, right beside someone and holding everybody up, you know, it's, you know what's going on? <laughs> you know what's going on on their mind? Well, nobody's holding me up. That's what a lover of self, not being considerate of other people. Lovers of money. In other words, you've got all the time in the world for work. You'll give up your family. You'll give up your church. Give up anything for work for more money. Uh, Boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful. See, that's a mark of being evil, by the way, is you are never grateful for anything. That's another uh, heavily repeated command for believers in the New Testament is to live a life of thankfulness. Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, and now we see that opposition of gentleness, Uh, without love for good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I guess you can really kind of translate this as lovers of entertainment, lovers of me just wasting time more than lovers of serving, pleasing, and fearing God. Holding a form of godliness. Boy, and we see a lot of this in the prosperity uh, pastors in America today, don't we? You know, they, ha- they seem to have this form of godliness. You know, this good appearance that looks about them. But having denied its power, keep away from such men as these. For among them are those who enter households and take captive weak women, weighed down with sins, being led on by various desires, always learning and never able to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind. What happens uh, to the runners who run outside of the line? They get disqualified, right? Disqualified in regard to the faith. 
you know bad behavior can disqualify you from rewards that you will be getting in heaven. Jesus said you'll know people by their fruit. You know, what is this fruit? Like I said, I go so far as to say that a good at least 80-90% of this is their day-to-day behavior. Is God changing you? God says He changes those whom He loves. He makes us more gentle, more patient. Uh, Titus 1.16, this is another way to refer to them. They profess to know God, but by their works they deny Him. See, by their works, by their behavior, by what they're doing, they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient, unfit for any good work. You know, we have such an opportunity to build up rewards in heaven simply by our day-to-day behavior and reflecting the attributes of Christ to a lost and hopeless world. There's a hope inside of us that should be shining out, should be flowing out of us like a water. Uh, I was reading an article that Back in March, gold topped about $2,000 an ounce. You know, and it's just, you know, steadily going up. This was back in March. Some people say that it could go up as eight to ten thousand dollars an ounce. Isn't that crazy for an ounce? Eight to ten, you know, that you know, sell the wedding ring. You know, it's you know, has it really come to that? You know, I'm just kidding, I would never do that. But you see what I'm saying? Like now (laughs) sorry, Layla. Uh now Now, imagine this, you know, they've got so many, uh, especially out in Colorado and California, they got rivers. You know what panning is? Uh, you know, where you get your little pan, you know, you, you put it in the river and then, you know, you kind of shake it, let the water clean. And then, you know, you either got something or you didn't. And then, you, you know, show, throw it over your shoulder, throw it back in the river, you know, whatever. Imagine being out in one of those rivers in California. You see someone panning and then, you know, they, they shake it clean and everything. And you just see it radiating of that, you know, that gold and, you know, your eyes get, you know, big as apples, like you, you start getting a little jealous, like, you know, I'm going to go pay $20 to get a pan, you know, or whatever. Um, and then imagine that person looks at it and then just, uh, I'm going to keep on looking. You th- you, what are you doing? Uh, what is the matter? You know, at least give it to me. Don't throw it back in the river, you know. But yet so many Christians go through li- their lives doing the exact same See, as much as many of us in here, we go through a a variety of hurts, pains, and struggles, and sometimes, you know, you only feel like you're trying to make it through today just so that you can wake up and make it through tomorrow. You know, it's so many burdens that come along with life. But God gives you a chance every single day. You know, in the beginning when I said that all of you have got oxygen in your lungs right now, God has given you an opportunity right now, today, to build up for yourself something far more valuable than just a rock in a pan, but rewards that will never go away. Yet some people run the race, their day-to-day life in such a way that they behave outside of the line that is doing the will of the Father. And there's so much they're giving up. Now, how do I know that? Because 
when Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ, you know, it's kind of like you dump your whole life on a conveyor belt, it passes through the fire. Whatever makes it through the fire, that's your rewards in heaven, which that was actually going to be the main point of the message uh, before. Every time you obey the will of God, that you behave in a manner that reflects His glory and make yourself useful to Him, you have another part of your life that makes it through the fire. You know, if you look in Revelation chapter 21, you see where Jesus wipes away the tears, not the tears of the lost because they'll forever be in torment, but the tears of those who are in heaven. You think, you know, why would there be tears in heaven? doesn't exclusively tell us, but you want to know my best guess is because at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to see so many people that have so many, like their whole life does dump on the conveyor belt and you know you hardly even notice anything missing when it passes through the fire. Some people, it says, they will get to heaven, they'll dump their whole life, you know, essentially on the, and it's not a literal conveyor belt, I'm just using that as an example. They'll dump their whole life on there. They cannot wait to see the rewards that will last forever on the other end. You know, Jesus says some people, when it passes through the fire, nothing makes it on the other side. And it says, they will suffer loss. If only we knew how many rewards we were going to be disqualified from, how many rewards we're getting that we could have had that we just said, uh, no, I'll look for something different. I'll behave the way I want to behave. You know, I'm going to lash out at that person, or I'm going to do this. I'm not going to be gentle. I'm going to be direct and stern with it, or I'm going to get back at that person. I'll teach them a lesson. You know, we fill our cart with all these things. For what? Just like the pan, you know, what, do you, what could be more valuable than that, you know, pan full of gold? What could be more valuable in your life today than doing the will of the Father? <clears throat> I'd like to close with this. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 verse 2, or 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same, also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to no longer live the rest of the time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. See, each and every day we get to choose how we spend our time. We get to choose how we treat other people. We get to choose how we react when wronged. You know, and Jesus says, if, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. You know, sometimes when we have to deny ourselves, and what do I mean by that? I can't speak for anybody else's life. I can speak for my life. When, <clears throat> have you ever dropped a Mentos in a Coke bottle and seen what happens? You know, it's just like that stream shoots out of it. Have you ever been so angry that that's what your mouth feels like? You're just ready to burst out, you know, everything that's on your mind? 
You know, sometimes, you know, you'd almost just assume to die than to keep your mouth shut. See, you have to make a choice. Are you willing to be obedient to God to the point of your own internal suffering? Or do you want to do it your way? Because if you're saved in this room, every one of us is on the one same path. It's not this path and that path and this over here. We're all on the same path, all serving the same God. The only two distinctions is there's those who do serve Him and those who don't. Moving forward today, which one are you going to choose to be? Because if you choose to follow God, His Spirit is powerful enough to raise people from the dead. It's powerful enough to overcome any struggle you have inside of you and give you life abundantly. We serve a God who cannot lie. He promised each and every Christian that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us a chance to come together. Lord, to go over a portion of your word. God, we fall so infinitely short of your glory, of your perfection, of your high standards that it may even leave us in here thinking, you know, where do we even begin? But God, we know You have written in Your Scriptures, we can do all things through You who strengthened us. And God, You weren't talking about a football game or some other sporting event, you know, or some other board game, but God, You were talking about we can overcome tribulation, we can overcome evil, we can overcome temptation by the limitless power of Your Spirit that is alive in us today. God, we want to worship You in all areas of our life. There's no room in our house that we want to close off to You. But God, we want You to flood our spirit to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, from all of our worldly living, our worldly habits, and our worldly thoughts. Will you please, God, create in us a clean heart, one that loves you, loves your word, and loves and receives satisfaction from obeying your word, even to our own suffering. God, I ask that you please strengthen every spirit in this room right now. God, please encourage them and stir them to good works. Stir them to do your will. Please protect us from the evil one and the many flaming arrows that they may be shooting at this moment. As God, we're all here for you. And it's through the holy and precious and powerful name of Jesus that we pray all this. Amen.